happy Easter, 9 a.m. How are you guys doing today? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you joined us on Easter Sunday morning. And can we give it up for all of our church family that is joining us online right now that hasn't felt comfortable coming back to church? Man, we love you guys. Happy Easter to everybody watching online. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're glad that you're joining us at our 9 a.m. service. And uh, I, I just want to let you know that I want to personally invite you back next week. We're beginning a brand new series called Issues. Because here's what I know. All of us have some issues in life. And I actually think that God wants to talk to us about some of those issues and help us resolve some of them so that we can move forward in life. And so an incredible series starting next week. In fact, I've been off over the last couple weeks preparing for these next couple weeks. And so I've got some stuff that I'm like ready to preach to you guys. But I'm excited about Easter. Uh, but I've been reflecting a lot over the last couple weeks, uh, particularly because I miss traveling. Does anybody else miss like traveling right now? Like I just want to, I just want to get on an airplane. I want to go somewhere internationally and just see something else. And I was thinking about that because a few years back I, I, was, in, I was in China and spending some time over in China uh, and I brought some things back with me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Didn't do that. Made bad joke. Okay. Okay. It was, I was, it was a couple years ago. So anyways... <laughs> Too early for that in this season. Okay. Uh, but I was in China. I was doing these pastor's conferences. And I remember waking up one Monday morning and calling back home to check on Shayla and Alexander and check on how church was over the weekend. And it was 8 a.m. in China. And when I was calling back, it was actually 5 p.m. on Sunday here. And uh, kind of an interesting, that, that time change is a big, big, interesting difference in days. And it got me thinking about when I was reflecting on that, like how cool would it be if you had someone in tomorrow that could tell you today what was going to happen tomorrow? Like how cool would it be if you had someone in tomorrow that could tell you today that that person you're dating is going to break up with you tomorrow so that you could send the breakup text to them today? <laughs> like, that would be awesome, right? Or, like, how great would it be if you had someone in tomorrow that could let you know that that proposal you gave to the company, they're not going to accept it because they had a different proposal that was cheaper. So now you can adjust your proposal to get it, that business for your business. That would be awesome. Or, or how great would it be, students, if you had somebody in tomorrow that had already taken the test and had all the answers to the test that could give them to you today? It'd be like getting Biff in the sports almanac from Marty McFly back in the day. Come on, somebody. Where's, where's all my 80s and 90s people at? We go back to the future right there. It would be awesome if we had that opportunity because you could find out what's going to happen in tomorrow. Because sometimes in life, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but life can throw us some curveballs, can it? Like we can have some difficult days in our lives and, and we have no idea what that phone call tonight is going to be. We have no idea what, what is going to happen tomorrow when you wake up and that person that you've been uh, married to for 15 years says, man, I'm just not in this the same way that you're in it. And I would propose to you that it would be awesome to have somebody in tomorrow to call about today, but maybe the disappointment, the hurt, the pain would still be the same. 
Because how many of you know, whether you know hurt is coming or you don't, hurt still hurts. Whether you know disappointment is coming or not, disappointment is still disappointing. Rejection is still rejection. And when you get that kind of bad news, whether you know it in advance or you get it right in that moment, anytime that happens to you, it has a tendency to skew your perspective. Like you don't see things the right way. Like you start to make mountains out of molehills in the moment. In fact, when you look back on those things in hindsight, you're like, man, why did I make such a big deal out of that moment? But in the moments... It's so overwhelming, and it's so big, and it's so painful, and it's so great. And this is exactly where we find Jesus' disciples on Resurrection Sunday. And I know somebody's like, but Pastor, it's Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is risen. They should be excited. No, they weren't excited. They were dejected and rejected, and they were discouraged, and they were overwhelmed, and they were hurting, and they were in pain, and they were trying to comprehend the fact that they'd just given three years of their their lives to this man that is now dead. And can I just make a confession here as, as your pastor? On Christmas and Easter, it is really, really hard on pastors to preach because you come to church twice a year expecting a new message. I'm going to fill you in on something. Every Easter, he dies. Every Easter, he gets put in a grave. And every Easter, he rises again. And every Christmas, she gets pregnant. Every Christmas, she gives birth. It's in a manger. Angels show up. Shepherds arrive. Every single year. And so you, you make it, uh, that's why we invite you to back to the next series so we can tell you some different stories in the Bible than the two you hear all the time, okay? Like give us a shot at a different week, that's what I'm saying. But I think, I think this year I've got something different for you that I, that I hadn't really seen before in this story. And I hope you get something out of it. In Mark chapter 16, it says this. It says, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now let me just stop right there because I think it's important that we recognize the reason that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people say, man, that's crazy is the fact that so many people witnessed him alive. Like Mary Magdalene was the first person to witness him witness him alive but there is over 200 accounts of people that witnessed him alive now what makes that significant is the majority of those people were willing to die brutal deaths for what they saw and here's what I've learned in life people don't die for lies like the moment you start getting persecuted the moment you start dying like or you start getting beaten you're like hey I was only joking I didn't really see him why because you don't you just don't take that for something that's a lie but these people they they went to the grave because of what they saw with their own eyes it says she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened 
But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his other followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. And they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. So here's the scenario. It's Easter Sunday morning. Mary goes to the tomb. Jesus is in and out in there. He appears afterwards. She is overwhelmed and flabbergasted. She runs back to the disciples who are weeping and mourning and goes, man, I've got the best news ever. Jesus is alive. They're like, we don't believe you. Then he appears to two guys on this country road. One of them's name is Cleopas. The other one, we don't know his name, so we're going to call him No Name. So Cleopas and No Name have this encounter with Jesus. They run back to tell the disciples. They're like, hey, hey, guys, you're never going to believe it. Jesus appeared to us. He is alive. And the disciples did not believe that he was alive. And the reason why is because they thought, man, if he's alive, that news is just too good to be true. Like we saw him, him get captured. We saw him beaten. We saw the crown of thorns. We saw him put on the cross. We saw them take him off the cross dead. We saw him get put in the grave. And you're telling me that he is alive. That is just too good to be true. And some of you, you're in a season of your life where you just believe it's too good to be true that God could heal your marriage. That it's too good to be true that God could, could, could come and work a miracle in this season of your life. Like it's too good to be true that God could make a way where it feels like there's no way in your life. Like it's too good to be true that God could get you out of that financial pit that you have dug yourself into in life. And you're in a season where you just feel like, man, this is just too good to be true. And Jesus is alive, and you're still mourning, and you're still weeping. Resurrection has happened, but the reality of the resurrection has not physically happened in your life yet. And my goal for today is that this wouldn't just be a historical story that you hear about, but this would become the reality that there is a risen Savior who can rise up in your life and change your life. Every day of your life. And my prayer is, is that that would become your reality today. And, and, and I get why, why these guys were struggling with this. I mean, I get it. It's been a challenging three days. I mean, Friday was a hard day. They, they, they watched this man that they had followed get captured and beaten and put on a cross and die. And then Saturday happens and nothing. No sign. Nothing. And Sunday has come and Jesus has risen, but they're still weeping and mourning because they have yet to see it as a reality for themselves. And I get for some of you why you think to yourselves, this is too good to be true because you've experienced a lot of Fridays in your life. We call Friday Good Friday, but it was anything but good. It was terrible. It was brutal. It was painful. And you're like, that is the story of my life. Then for some of you, you're, you're in Saturday where you're just in this season where you're going, man, I, I've been waiting on God, but I haven't seen God. Like, it just seems like God is missing. And then for some of you in here, you've experienced the power of Sunday and how Sunday changes everything. 
And so today what I want to do is I want to take you on a quick journey through Friday, Saturday, and Sunday using a text about the road of Emmaus, which is where we find this guy Cleopas in no name. And uh, we're going to be looking at this encounter in Luke chapter 24. And kind of the backstory is here is they are walking away from Jerusalem. Like they're walking away from everywhere they had just invested their life in. They're going in an opposite direction and they're broken and they're talking and they're having this conversation. And the Bible says that Jesus appeared to these guys, shows up and starts walking with them, but they don't recognize him. I don't know if he has a disguise on. I don't know if he shaved his beard. I don't know if he put on a baseball. I don't know why they don't recognize him, but they don't recognize him. That's where we're going to pick it up in verse 17. It says, he asked them, meaning Jesus, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Which is funny to me because Jesus is going, hey, I know y'all are talking about me, but what are y'all talking about? It says, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard the news about all the things that have happened there the last few days. He's like, they're like, don't you know what's happened? Like, don't you know what's going on? And Jesus replied to them, what things? Like, he's, he's egging them on. He's like, prodding them on. Tell me about that. Really, give me the insight there. And it says, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to the condemned to death and they crucified him. The Bible says that as they were walking, their countenance was down. Their, their heads were held low. Why? Because they were sad about what was happening. And I think that if I could describe Friday for you, Friday was a day of pain. It was a day of pain. These guys were in deep levels of pain. They had given their lives to Jesus. They had, they had left uh, their careers for Jesus. They had left their families for Jesus. They had given all their energy and all of their all of their uh, worth to following Jesus. In other words, they had put all of their eggs in the Jesus basket, no pun intended, on Easter. And now he's dead. How many of you know that when you trust in something... And that something disappoints your trust. It's painful. Like when you build your life on a foundation. And you think that this foundation is going to be solid. And it's going to be immovable. And then that foundation gets ripped out from underneath of you. Like that is a, a traumatic and painful experience. And that's exactly what these guys were experiencing right here. That kind of pain. And if I had to guess for some of you, some of you that are watching online, right now you are in Friday. And it feels like Friday has lasted forever. It's like a never-ending groundhog day of pain after pain after pain. For some of you, it may be physical pain. Might be an ailment, might be something that's going on in your life. But I'm going to guess for a lot of you, it's emotional pain. It's the rejection that you've experienced in life. It's the dejection that you've experienced. It's been the words of death that have been spoken to you that you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to be anything. That nobody loves you. And, and you've experienced deep levels 
of that pain in your life. And, and while you have that emotional pain, what you do is you show up on Easter Sunday dressed in your Easter best and you put on an outward appearance of everything is all good, but on the inside, your spirit is downcast. And I'm here to let you know that Jesus understands your pain. Like, Jesus understands your pain better than anybody. I, I mean, it's, hopefully it's obvious to you that he understands the physical pain. I mean, all you have to do is think about the, the, the leading up to the cross of him being captured by, by the Roman centurions. And the Roman centurions were experts at brutalization and crucifixion. It says they took him and they put him on a post and they took out a cat of nine tails. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's a whip with nine leather ends that would be uh, affixed with stones and, and, and glass and metal objects. And they would smack their, uh, their, the person that they were beating with this and, and it would ingrain in their body and they would rip out chunks of the skin. And I'm not trying to be very graphic here, but Easter was brutal. And it was violent. And so many times we like to sanitize Easter, but Easter was anything but sanitary. Like it was gruesome and it was bloody and it was disgusting. And I doubt that very few of us would have the stomach to even look at Jesus on the cross. After they put a crown of thorns on his head and slammed it down. After he's been beaten and bruised and they make him walk with the cross to the point and nail him to the cross. And every time he has to take a breath, he has to slide his raw back up. This wooden beam just to take a breath or utter a word. Jesus understands your physical pain and he took all that physical pain for you. But not only does he understand the physical pain, he understands the emotional pain. He understands what it's like to be abandoned. He understands what it's like to be rejected and dejected. He understands what it's like to have everybody that you've put your hopes and your trust in abandon you and walk out on you in the most important moments in life. Wasn't it Peter who denied him? Wasn't it Peter who, when a 12-year-old girl goes, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, man, I've never even known that man. I mean, think about this. Jesus had 72 disciples. Some of you are like, no, 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 Jesus had 12. No, 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 read your Bible. He has 72 disciples. There's just 12 that get all the Insta stories and all the Facebook posts, okay? <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, they're like the ones that are famous, but he actually had 72. But there were three that were like in his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. These were the ones that he shared his life with. He shared the intimate details with. They got to do the like really, really cool things with Jesus. And, and, and it's in this moment that, that he is at Caiaphas' place on trial. And in the middle of his trial, Peter is denying him. In fact, when it gets to the third time that Peter denies him, the Bible says that Jesus turned his head and met eyes with Peter, knowing in that moment that Peter had rejected him. The person that he needed to stand with him the most abandoned him. Jesus understands your emotional pain. He knows what it's like to be hurt on a soul level. He knows what it's like to feel like I am all alone in the crowd. And I know you're saying, but nobody knows what I'm going through. Jesus knows. 
He understands Friday. He lived through Friday so you don't have to stay stuck in your Fridays, people. And in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get out of your Friday by leading you to Christ here today. So not only did they feel the pain of Friday, but the Bible says that in verse 21, it says, Cleopas in no name, it says, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. In other words, what they're doing is they're letting this person know that they're on, they're walking with Jesus, that they knew the prophecy that Jesus said, man, that he would die and rise again three days later, that the prophets had prophesied that the, the, the Savior would do this, and they had hoped that this would be the case, but they're not seeing it right now. And I thought to myself, like, hope is an interesting thing. Hope is an expectation of a desired outcome. That's what hope is. And hopeless is when your, your expectations and your experience don't line up in life. Whenever your expectations and your experiences don't line up, there is a gap that is there. And what that gap creates is it creates hopelessness. And you expected the relationship was going to be this, but you experienced this. And because your experience and your expectation didn't line up, now you are hopeless when it comes to your relational world. You had hoped you would be in this financial place, but your experience tells you something different. And so now you're like, why even try? You had hoped that you would be further along in your career, but your experience and your expectation don't align. So now you're like, why even try? And, and hopelessness will cause you to get comfortable in your life in dysfunction. Because they're like, why even try? And for some of you here, you, you have lost your fights. You have given up your fight for your life, your fight for your purpose, your fight for your family. And you, the reason you've given up that fight is because you are without hope. And Saturday, Saturday was a day without hope. And for some of you here today, you had an expectation of God. Let's get real. You expected him to do something. And he didn't live up to your expectation. And you lost hope in him. And if we get really real, you didn't just lose hope in him. You're now angry at him. Because you prayed and he didn't answer your prayer from your perspective in the way you thought he would answer your prayer. You had faith, and from your perspective, he did not honor your faith the way you thought he should honor your faith. Your expectation and your experience with God did not line up, and you're here today because mom asked all of her kids to come to church here today, and you came here begrudgingly, but something I've said has piqued your interest, but you don't want anything to do with faith because God didn't do what, from your perspective, what you thought he should have done. Here's my challenge with that. It's this, is God is outside of time. God sees things differently than you and I see things. See, God sees that your beginning and your end, not at different times, but at the same time. Like he can see your beginning and your end right here, right now, all at the same time. The problem with that is we only see linearly. 
Like we only see what is in front of us at this moment. We cannot see beyond what's in this moment right here, right now. And some of you are like, no, I can't because I can see what I'm going to do after this. I'm going to go to that restaurant for dinner but, or for, for brunch right after that. But how do you know that you're not going to get stuck in traffic on your way there and not make that appointment? How do you know that when you get to that brunch that there's not going to be a three-hour wait and you're actually not going to eat there, you're going to have to go to a different restaurant because too many people are at brunch on Easter. God forbid the Bible says your life is but a vapor. How do you know that when you try to pull out of this parking lot, you're not going to die in an accident? See, I can make all the plans I want. I can have a plan this afternoon. I can have a plan for next week. In fact, I have plans on my calendar months out. But I don't know that I'm actually going to be able to fulfill those plans. I have a plan, but I don't know that I'm going to make those plans. But I know the one who holds all the plans. So because God is outside of time and he sees your beginning and he sees your end at the same time, then God knows exactly what you need in this season for your next season. Now the challenge with that is that we want God to be on our time, don't we? So we pray prayers in life and we pray that prayer and then we're like, God, it's been 30 minutes. Where you at? I'll pray in baby Jesus' name. I'll pray in teenage Jesus' name. I'll pray in adult Jesus' name. Whatever I got to do, I need you to show up, especially if we need them to show up fast. We're like, I need you to show up before 8 a.m. because I got something at work or I got something at school. So God is outside of time. So he sees how this event will affect the next event. And from your perspective, you thought that God was not working in your life when you prayed that prayer because you couldn't see it, that does not mean that God was not working on your behalf. In fact, Paul said in Romans 8.28, God is able to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we got to get a hold of that first part because God is able. You need to understand that God is able. I don't know what your religious background is or what you grew up with, but I did not come here today to preside over a funeral. I came here today to preside over a party because I serve the resurrected king and a risen savior. And if Jesus is risen today and he is risen for evermore that means if he is risen he is able and if he is able then what could he do in your life whatever situation in your life that you feel like is dead God can resurrect in a moment God can do the impossible in life Saturday may be here but Sunday is coming in life weeping may last for a night but you know what joy comes in the morning Y'all need to get on her page. Y'all watching online, you need to shout me down like she is right now. So God, so Paul said God is able to work all things together for good. The good things and the bad things. Paul also says that God can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. Why? Because God is a turnaround God. He can turn around your situation. He can turn around your Saturday. See, God is working your life like a recipe. 
And God is in the kitchen, and he is cooking up something good, which means it's not vegan and it's not gluten-free. Come on, somebody. It is deep fried and full of butter and full of carbs and full of sugar. It is going to be good. And what he's doing is he's in there, and he's working that pot, and he's pouring in some good. He's pouring in some bad. He's pouring in a little bit of favor, and he's pouring in a little bit of hardship. He's pouring in a little bit of tragedy, and he's pouring in a little bit of triumph, and he's stirring it all together for your good. Me too. I mean, you got to remember Lazarus. I mean, Lazarus is one of Jesus' best friends, and, and he is in this place where he's deathly ill. He's on his deathbed. Hospice is being called in. They call to Jesus. They're like, hey, you need to come. You need to come heal Lazarus. We need you to come right now. Jesus is like, I'll be there in four days. Let me just tell you something. That is bad pastoral care. <laughs> like, Jesus did not have the pastoral care etiquette down right there. Because I know they're like, we had a friend on Friday that was going to the emergency room. Like, we went over to, we were going, rolling over there right away to try to help them. And Jesus like, I'll be there in four days. Jesus shows up four days later. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, show up. And they walk out and they say, Lazarus is dead. Listen, we had a plan. We had a process. We knew exactly what the timeline was. You were supposed to come here when we called. And you did not Show, you didn't do what we wanted you to do. And Jesus said, you don't know what I'm doing here. You don't get me. You don't understand that I can see beyond this moment. I can see beyond this place right now. You don't see that I'm outside of time, that I'm the resurrection and the life. And so let me ask you a question today. What would have been the better miracle? Getting Lazarus while he was sick, healed, or raising him from the dead? And some of you are like, man, well, God didn't do this minor thing. That's because God doesn't want to do a minor miracle in your life. He wants to do something monumental in your life so that you'll know it's only through him. Man, I'm preaching way better than y'all respond. I'm just letting you know. So some of y'all, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel in this moment. Don't stop short of everything that God has for your life. He is good, and he can perform the miraculous and the unexpected and the unexplainable. And if you in life won't stay stuck in your Saturday, and it just perplexes me that you would choose to stay stuck in the pain of Friday or stay living your life in the hopelessness of Saturday when Sunday has arrived. This passage tells us that Jesus continues to walk with these guys and Jesus ends up giving them an education on some Old Testament. He does a big Bible study with them and they're like mentally worn out. So they get hungry. They're like, Jesus, can we eat? And so they stop and they eat. And verse 30, it says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn with us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And they had found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them. And they said, the Lord has risen. If, de- if Friday was the day of pain and Saturday was a day of hopelessness, then Sunday was a day of freedom. 
And I love the imagery in this passage because he's, it, it's reflecting on something that happened on Thursday before the crucifixion. There was a moment where Jesus was having a, what we call the Last Supper with his disciples. And during that, at the end of it, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. And then on Friday, they actually witnessed his body being broken for them on the cross. And here they are on Sunday, sitting down, and again, he takes the bread and he breaks it. And it says, in that moment, their eyes were opened and Jesus disappears. And it's in that moment that they recognize that his brokenness bought their freedom. His brokenness bought them out of the pain of Friday and the hopelessness of Saturday so that they could live in the reality of Sunday. And the same is true for you and me. He was broken so that you don't have to live in the pain of Friday. And he was broken so you don't have to stay stuck in the hopelessness of Saturday, wondering why even try. But Sunday came so that you could be free. So you wouldn't have to live your life looking over your shoulder. So you wouldn't have to live your life with the shame of the decisions and the regrets that you have in your life. So you wouldn't have to live your life with the pain of decisions of other people that you had no choice in that have impacted and affected your life. That you could do nothing about. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And that the punishment that was brought us peace was on him and it's by his wounds that you and I, we experience healing. His death, his burial, his resurrection can bring you healing. And you're like, TJ, how does his death, burial, and resurrection bring you healing? I think Jesus explained it as he's in his last words on the cross in John 19, 30. He says, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. It says, then he bowed his head and it says he gave up his spirit. And I was doing a little research this week and I was focusing on those words of gave up his spirit. And this is the idea that he gave it up until an appointed time. And this is conjecture, so I have no scripture to back this up, but this is how I perceive it went down. I think Jesus, as he died right there, he went to his father and he said, hey, God, God the Father, here is my spirit. I'm going to give it to you for a, a, a little bit. I, there are some things I've got to go do. And he went down to the depths of the grave and he said to Satan, man, I've given my spirit to my father. There's something I need from you and I need the keys of death, hell, and the grave from you. And I'm going to take them back right here and right now. And he took the keys of death so that you and I, that would never be our last word. And he took the keys of hell so that we would would never have to spend one day of eternity there. He took back the keys of the grave so that it would not be the last word in our life. And then he kicked open the grave door and he walked out. He said, God, give me my spirit back. And he's been on a mission ever since. So you can discover that you've got a purpose and that his love and his grace and his mercy is sufficient for everything in your life here today. 
The Bible also says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Jesus came to bring you freedom, but not just free, free indeed. And there's a big difference between free and free indeed. You can be free and still looking over your shoulder wondering when your past is going to catch up with your present. But free indeed means that there is nothing in your past that can impact your present or your future. Best way I can describe this is a couple of years ago there were some prisoners that escaped from a prison up in upstate New York. And the moment that they escaped, they were free. They could choose what they were going to eat, when they were going to eat, where they're going to sleep. They could even they could choose what their outfit would be. No more orange jumpsuits. You know, they had options. And while they were free, they were constantly looking over their shoulder because they knew at some point the consequences of their past were going to catch up to them. And when the consequences of the past caught up to them, you know what was going to happen? They were going to get locked up. And some of you here today, you think you're free. But you're constantly looking over your shoulder wondering, when is that going to pop its ugly head up in my life? When is that thing going to arrive here? And God didn't come to set you free. He came to set you free indeed where your past is no longer a, a master to you. It is now your slave because of what Christ has done in your life. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. The Bible also says that we all have sinned. Listen, we're not mistakers who make mistakes. We are sinners who sin. And that the wages of our sin is death. That's, that's what our eternity should be. But because of Jesus, it says the gift of God is eternal life. God has got an incredible gift for every single one of us. And Jesus also said, no man goes into the Father except through me. And I know somebody's like, well, TJ, that sounds kind of exclusive. It is. There's only one way to heaven. It's not by being a good person. It's not by doing good deeds. It's by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And it's in our surrender, which doesn't make any sense, that we find our freedom. And maybe you're here today. And you've been living your life in the pain of Friday. Perpetually in life. Or maybe you're here and you've been living in the hopelessness of Saturday. And I'm here to let you know that Jesus came so that you could live in Sunday. That you could be free and not just free, but free indeed. And it begins by surrendering your life to him. And maybe you need to experience that here today with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or you made one a long time ago and you've gotten caught up in some things and you feel like, man, I'm constantly looking over my shoulder now. Because you think you're free, but you're, you're not really free. And you need to experience the freedom that Jesus brings through Sunday with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you need to begin a relationship with God, I'm not talking about rules or religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the creator of the universe. If you just slip your hand up at the count of three, I'd love to pray with you. One, two. Three, go ahead and slip it up. Yes, ma'am. One, two, yes, three, yes, four, yes. Who else? Five, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't miss your moment. If you just pray this prayer in your heart as I prayed, I would say, God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus 
to die on the cross over 2,000 years ago, to die to take away the pain of Friday in my life and the hopelessness of Saturday. Thank you that you are the ultimate forgiver of sins. And God, I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent and I confess that you are Lord. Come into my heart, come into my life, take over, rule and reign inside of me. Lead me and guide me to experience your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your, your understanding, God, that I would walk with you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me in such extravagant ways. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.